They sort of wanted to zap your brain with electric currents and see if that improved your cognitive ability. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is one of the reasons we love research, right? The drama. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting, but not surprising. They didn't mostly find what they were looking for. Sometimes it's what you don't find that is as interesting as what you do find when you're looking at ADHD research. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of ADHD Research Recap. I'm here with Sarah, and today we have two very interesting papers that got us to really read the fine print to get a sense of what they were about. So we're going to take a deep dive into different ways that transcranial direct current stimulation improves performance. It's not TMS for those of you who have tried that or heard of that, but it is similar. And we're going to look at um, how this may or may not affect people with ADHD. And then we're going to take a look at another paper on inflammation and the link between inflammation and ADHD and spoiler alert, it's not what you think. So let's get into it. The first paper is called Cognitive Control Enhancement in ADHD and Neurotypical Individuals. And it is from, of course, this year in the Journal of Experimental Brain Research. And they were looking at whether transcranial direct current stimulation improves performance on a cognitive inhibition task among people with ADHD. So Sarah, what do they mean by that? What is the general definition of what they were trying to look for? Basically, they were supposing that transcranial direct current stimulation would basically be used as a treatment method for ADHD. And they specifically wanted to look at you know, how you performed before and after receiving the treatment. And they used like a cognitive function test and a control mm -hmm. test as well. We can mm -hmm. talk about those in a minute. And so in terms of what is this direct current stimulation, it's basically something that they put over your head. Is that correct? I was looking this up yesterday. Yes, <laughs> yes that's absolutely right. Yeah, so the transcranial direct stimulation is like electric currents that they put mm -hmm. in your in your brain by connecting it to two different areas um, mm -hmm. and they specifically wanted to put it in the right inferior frontal gyrus because mm -hmm. this brain region is associated with inhibition and self-regulation so they sort of wanted to zap your brain with electric currents and see if that improved your cognitive ability <laughs> yeah exactly yeah exactly also as Sky mentioned there's also um, magnetic stimulation. So they'll use like uh -huh. magnets to do the same sort of thing. And then I also read that they use alternating currents in the same way. So there's AC uh -huh. and DC for all you Edison versus Tesla buffs out there. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> I think it's interesting. And the reason I'm discussing this is you might have heard of this particular kind mm -hmm. of thing, or you might have heard of something related to it. And that is what we are talking about today, or at least one of them. So they did a couple of tests. So they had 42 people. So 20 of those people had ADHD and 22 people didn't have ADHD. And they basically did these tests um, using things like the stop signal task, which we've talked about before. So take us through a little bit about what they did, Sarah. So they had sort of, they gave you the baseline 
test first Mm -hmm. prior to receiving any treatment. And so as Sky mentioned, the stop task, it's basically like you hear a signal and then you have to input the information. It's basically like pressing a button, but you have to choose between the buttons. So there's Mm -hmm. two. They sort of go back and forth between what is the correct response. You know, the signal comes at different times and that test is used to measure like response inhibition. So basically, Mm -hmm. are you able to like make correct responses quickly. Yes. <laughs> um, and yes. then they what also the, use the, We're not good at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's interesting, but not surprising. The control test that they did was basically like showing flashcards and then presenting you with the words. One side was in English and one side was in Hebrew. I believe this study was done in Israel. So, oh, and then you had to pick the correct sort of word that goes with the picture. Some of them yeah. were just both the correct word. Some of them were not. And so they yeah. they basically said that if you have ADHD or not, it's not going to impact your ability to do this test. So it was meant mm-hmm. to be like their control group in the best way that they could do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, and last thing, I also want to mention that the stimulation was mm-hmm. a double blind. Well, it was a blinded. So the participants didn't actually know if they were receiving actual electric treatment or just the placebo fake oh, that's, treatment. That's so cool. Yeah. And then basically once they did the fake or the real thing, then they took the cognitive tests again, the stop, start, and the language task. Yeah. And what they found was interesting. You got the impression from reading this paper, and it was read by our research team and then myself and Sarah. So three people have looked at this and scoured it, and that's what we were doing before we came on this podcast episode. You got the impression from reading this paper that they really, really wanted to find significance. And that makes sense. I mean, that's pretty normal in the paper. But it really came through in this paper, and I think that was because of how many things weren't significant. And then one thing was significant. So we're going to take you through a little bit about what they found specifically. They found a lot of things, but not all of them were sort of significant. And not all of them were things that they were looking for, right? So they were Mm -hmm. specifically looking for the effects of the stimulation treatment on your cognitive tests. And Mm -hmm. among the things that did have significance, that one was really small. I mean, they Mm -hmm. stated that there is a difference, that there was a significant relationship between sort of pre and post scores. But Mm -hmm. all they did was look at the relationship between having ADHD and like your score on the test. Whereas what they should have been looking at was the significance between the pre and the post scores. And they never did that. Yeah. We spent about, it's not a particularly complex data analysis, but we spent probably about a half an hour talking about it because the way it was written was very complex in terms of what was going on, what they found and what they didn't find. Yeah, they keep sort of changing their language around like this wasn't statistically significant, but then like this was and then this was near Uh significant. Uh And I think at least for my ADHD brain, it was just a lot to hold on to. Um, (laughs) It was, you know, 
they did find some significance, but again, it wasn't related to their hypothesis. So they did find a significant relationship between ADHD inattentive symptoms and mm-hmm. doing poorly on that cognitive stop test. But um, yeah. that's already like backed. That's already in the ADHD literature that we sort of struggle with response inhibition. You know, this is yeah. a novel finding. But because it was among the only things that they did find significance, they sort of it ran was with that. referenced. Yeah. Which is fine. It's great to add to that evidence. Yeah. Sure. From their perspective, they provided evidence for the hypothesis that individuals with ADHD struggle with impaired cognitive control and tasks, which as CRC already know, and they did find some effect of this stimulation on performance in both people with ADHD and people who didn't have ADHD. So basically everyone. Yeah, they, the groups were not separated by ADHD, yeah. not ADHD. They were sort of mixed groups. Yeah, they didn't find a difference. So so for the purposes of does this type of stimulation help people with ADHD, they didn't find that. But it was, it was very tricky to indicate that, and there was a lot of language that made it very hard for us to actually find that that was the result. A lot mm-hmm. of this was about the need for further research. And it was such an interesting point that we actually looked into it further. Sarah, do you want to take us through a little bit about what you found in nature? So I'm not 100% sure if this is an ADHD-specific meta-analysis. Mm-hmm. I, I think I would be surprised that there would be so many studies. But <laughs> basically, it's a, a meta-analysis of like over 100 studies on transcranial stimulation. And I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure that they lump the groups together, but I could Uh be wrong on that. I'm going to have to wait until we get access to the full thing. But in the little blurb that I read, it just Uh said, does it support that it's effective? And it just says, probably. (laughs) (laughs) So that's going to be really interesting. A meta-analysis and probably kind of go together often when you have better than no. (laughs) It's hard to find a yes. In terms of What is the practical takeaway from this article? The practical takeaway really is that we don't actually have potentially all the research that we need on things that people are doing to support Mm. ADHD. We probably don't have all of the information. I think it's really important to know specifically and to like really pay attention to like, are these studies even comparable? Um, Again, this is just another really big highlight on methodology. You know, it's also always important to like not throw the baby out with the bathwater. So like just because there's one really problematic study doesn't mean that someone can't like improve upon it and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. But anything that actually betters the lives of people Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, this is one of the reasons we love research, right? The drama. (laughs) (laughs) But it is, you know, it is interesting that because I have heard of TMS and not so much this. So looking into this and not finding what we thought we would find necessarily Mm -hmm. is interesting. While I was doing a little bit more reading on this method, I found that they use it for pain management in fibromyalgia mm-hmm. patients and that it mm-hmm. is effective in that capacity. So it's just really interesting. There's also research of them using this method in schizophrenic patients and things mm-hmm. like that. So I don't know what they found there. I just mm-hmm. happened to see more reasons oh, yeah. that they're using it. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there might be more stuff out there and uh, it would be really great to sort of see how it applies to the ADHD. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. So watch the space. We will we will be looking for papers we'll on this. Yeah, and if we find anything, <laughs> we'll definitely come back and provide you with some details. But yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts. You know, have you tried this method? Have you tried some other kind of stimulation? Have you found that it worked for you? Because it did seem to work potentially, but not just for people who had ADHD. So maybe it's an overall support and maybe it supports people with ADHD at lower level because it's just kind of like moving everyone up the bell curve, cognitive functioning. That might also be the case, but we don't know. We know that ADHD can feel overwhelming and frustrating, and that's on a good day. And we don't want anyone to have to navigate that alone. That's why we created the ADHD Academy, where adults with ADHD can meet, join, share stories, and support each other in a judgment-free way. If you want to connect with others who truly understand you and learn research-based strategies to help you feel more in control and build momentum in your life and work, you found the right place. Together, let's transform your ADHD challenges into strengths. If you'd like to know more, you can click the link below to join us in the ADHD Academy. Hope to see you there. Should we have a look at the second paper? Yes, let's do this one. Very interesting. So this paper looked at, and we jumped into this, this is a combination of a genetics paper and a neuroscience paper in some ways, and we we jumped in on our own, so I'm feeling pretty... (laughs) <laughs> pretty good thanks to abby a couple of weeks ago for for giving us some pointers on how to read these kinds of papers but they were looking at inflammatory biotypes of adhd and whether they were linked to chronic stress so basically whether inflammation was an issue specifically for people with adhd and whether it was linked to chronic stress and i will just state at the beginning that this paper is a preprint which means that it is not fully peer-reviewed and put through the information. So take the whole paper with a grain of salt, but the results were interesting, so we will talk about it. And then we will find out how it went. It's being revised currently. That is the current status on this paper. It's with this journal, but it's being revised. So this study was sort of 126 for a sample size. They were all diagnosed with ADHD and they were all with a stable medication status, which Mm -hmm. just means they've been on the same medication or like not on any medication for the last 30 days. They were looking specifically for like older adults and things like that. They used a couple of self-report scales to get some of their measurements. But the most important thing here that they did was take blood samples because that's what they were going to use to detect the presence of these inflammatory biomarkers. This data was taken from a larger study, the Probia study. Not really sure what it is, but only the baseline data was used from this. Okay. The two things that are particularly interesting about this sample is that, one, there were 126 adults diagnosed with ADHD in the sample, so it's pretty large. The second thing is that this diagnosis was the DSM diagnosis, so that was also quite nice. We're not looking at self-reports and that kind of thing, which we've talked about before. And then the third thing was that they included medication use in this. So they were looking at people who were medicated, unmedicated, different, you know, levels. And I think that's really important because a lot of these studies, I think most of the time they'll just take people off medication when they do this on the day that they do this test. 
And then inevitably in the limitations, they'll say, well, you know, possibly one of the reasons we found whatever we found in terms of cognitive abilities, et cetera, is that they weren't on medication. And Mm -hmm. that provides a bit of a, it just doesn't feel as useful. This study worked with people who are medicated and non-medicated. So it includes everyone, which is cool. Yeah, I mean, they specifically wanted to see whether the type of medication or not being on any medication at all affected the proteins that they found. Exactly. So yeah, so to all the wonderful people who, um, 126 people who took a blood test, thank you very much. And uh, what did they find, Sarah? So unfortunately, not quite as much as they were hoping for. Well, unfortunately for them... (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Um, So I'm just going to get right to the chase. There's no substantial links found between the protein levels and ADHD subtypes, ADHD symptoms, med status, or med type. So that's just a lot of stuff right out the window. Yeah, that that was pretty good. They did sort of find what they were expecting in terms of two different levels of proteins. They call it the lower inflammatory protein potential and the higher Mm -hmm. inflammatory protein potential. Basically, what that means is that you have, when you have higher levels of inflammation, it correlates to having higher levels of stress in your life. That obviously leads to like other bad outcomes, like higher risk for suicide and things like that. Mm -hmm. But again, that's Mm -hmm. what they were looking for. They sort of cited other research in the medical space, and this research usually looks at just the stress. So it's kind of interesting that they were trying to see if there was like an ADHD-specific presentation here. But again, they didn't find that. Yeah, they basically didn't find any of what they looked at, and they looked really well. I mean, I think that's one of the things that we can we can go through is that there is one limitation that we will discuss. But they did a lot of quite thorough checking for these results. So it was... Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they looked at specific protein clusters. um, They looked at like biotypes and again, the medication status sort of Mm -hmm. demographic Mm -hmm. information that they had. And really the only correlation that they found with the inflammation was high levels of stress, which is what the existing research suggests anyway. For sure, for sure. But there was one very big limitation and the reason that we think there might be in revision currently, um, although we don't know. And that is the absence of a control group, which was a surprising gap. Yeah, I mean, I suppose I didn't read the section on how they selected their sample, but it is really interesting that they didn't choose a control group at all. Yeah, so they they collected their um, sample from a cohort of adult patients with ADHD from another study. So they were conducted on data and material collected during what the Probia study. Um, mm-hmm. And they have a link to the, the clinical trial registration there. And so this, that study's aim was to look at um, intervention on irritability, which is interesting. It still doesn't fully explain why so the purpose of the study, only data baseline data of participants with ADHD was used. And I'm still not 100% sure why that was the case. It's possible, and maybe we should talk to Abby about this, that, yeah, but the, the limitation, the lack of a control group was considered a limitation at the end of the paper. So, yeah, I'm not sure. Well, so this is making me feel like I need to go back to the Probia study and see if they had a control group. Well, they said, okay, so first in the study protocol, due to its prospective clinical trial design, 
no suitable control group was included. So no. Yeah. So they did okay. have a reason. Well, that explains why this study yeah. doesn't have a control group either. Yeah, a whole group either. And I think that that makes sense, but it, it is a limitation, basically. It's just one of the limitations that they have there. So I guess in terms of the results, and they talked here, they mentioned themselves, the effects of medication has not often been explored systematically. They were mm-hmm. able to do that. And the practical implication being that ADHD might not be affected, might might not be the reason for this kind of chronic inflammation. It might be stress, which is really great news for those of us who have ADHD, because maybe our stress from ADHD is a thing that could be leading to inflammation rather than our ADHD itself, which means it's something that can be managed a little Mm. bit more easily, potentially. Well, yeah. I mean, I think the benefit to if it were to be more linked with ADHD would be that people would learn this information sooner, sort of mm-hmm. before their gut is wrecked and, you mm-hmm. know, now all of a sudden they have IBS or whatever. And mm-hmm. so that's, I think, the unfortunate part. But I think it's, you know, it's one of the reasons why I was really hoping that this study would would show something new. It just sort of ends up like calling for more research and and looking specifically at stress. But again, when we get those sort of ADHD diagnoses, our doctors don't necessarily tell us to like fix our gut because we've probably been in a chronic stress environment Mm -hmm. for the last whoever knows how long. Especially if you're late diagnosed. I think that's also a thing. If you're late diagnosed, then, you know, you don't know about ADHD. That's the whole point. Um, and so yeah. instead, you have often got ongoing issues that come with ADHD, feeling overwhelmed, feeling really stressed. Relying on adrenaline and cortisol to get your work done. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so in that way, you can struggle with this. So yeah, mm-hmm. very interesting study. Another one to mm-hmm. kind of see how it evolves and see how it progresses, but not not yet out, still in, in preprint. So um We'll see how it goes. Fingers crossed to whoever is editing it right now. I do not envy you. (laughs) It's always a a complicated process. But yeah, two very interesting studies. Basically, a lot of them, the fine print is kind of the interesting thing. And they didn't mostly find what they were looking for. They didn't find a connection between ADHD and inflammation. And they didn't find a connection between ADHD and and the stimulation process that they were doing. So sometimes it's what you don't find that is as interesting as what you do find when you're looking at ADHD research. Yeah, and it was definitely a nice break to dig into some more medical studies compared to uh, some of the more qualitative stuff that we've been looking at. You know, it helps, really helps mm-hmm. to break it up a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also for our emotional, all of those stories, I know that Sarah, the stories of diagnosis and late diagnosis and how it affects people can be a lot. Yeah, that research could be really tough to read sometimes. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Cool. That's it for this week's research recap. And uh, we will see you on the next one. See you later. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to reach out or connect with us, you can leave us a message at admin at unconventionalorganization.com. You can also find out more about our ADHD coaching organization, read our free articles, or sign up to our online courses at unconventionalorganization.com. That's organization with a Z or an S. They both will get you there.
If you'd like to learn more about what we discussed here today, or you want to read the transcript, you can find that at our show notes page at unconventionalorganization.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast and think someone else might find the strategies and stories helpful, the best thing you can do is share episodes using the share button in the podcast player, or leave a five-star review on Apple or Spotify or your podcast player of choice, letting them know why you've benefited from this podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you back in the ADHD lab next week.